Live with your host, Coach Danielle McCartney. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartney. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey, good afternoon from this very warm, I had the top down on the way in, New Jersey. This is 60 Minute Overtime, Spring 2017, Episode 7. What's today's date? February 19th. 2017. I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan. For the next hour, we're going to be talking lots of sports news and sports analysis and things like that. So a quick shout out to my work, prosportsrundown.com, uh, Twitter, at Coach McCartan, that's M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, YouTube, search Coach Space McCartan, soundcloud.com, slash Coach McCartan, and on demand, iTunes podcast, Coach McCartan there, tune in radio, 60 minute overtime, and play.google.com, you're going to search Coach McCartan. So we're video simulcast right now on Periscope at Coach McCartan. Join in there. I think it's on my Twitter feed too and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And uh, we got Lenny checking in from Lenny and Joe from Philly Spring Training Camp in Clearwater. And uh, tomorrow they're going to the Yankee game. And uh, all right, they're going out to lunch with Mike Schmidt and Richie. I can't read the rest of that. So uh, have a good time down there in Florida. Wish I could be there too. Bye, Lenny, and bye, Joe, already. Um, so today's guest, we got New York Rangers goalkeeper Henrik Lundqvist. going to be joining us today. Very exciting for for uh, for Rangers fans for today. Uh, we also have, I also have, who is this we? I. I also have former Yankee and current Yes Network analyst John Flaherty joining us today. And commentary, bits and pieces from my past interviews with uh, legendary boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini and New York Yankees relief pitcher, man of the hour in New York, Dylan Batances. First up, though, Darrell Rivas. Session number 24, engine only. First responder with police and EMS. Intersection at East Carson, South 23rd Street. Me for two people down on a sidewalk. I know what's wrong with them. So there's two people knocked out. 24 engine, first responder with the police and EMS, intersection at East Carson at South 23rd. For two people down at the intersection, according to the callers, they were knocked out. I don't know if that means they were fighting or they're just passed out at the intersection. Dispatch times 239. Team, just an update on your patients. Uh, apparently, they're now conscious and standing. Unknown age male, uh, unknown life status. Uh, two people, the caller stated two people got knocked out. 87, did they have any direction on these people? They did say that the male that was knocked out is now, uh, somebody picked him up and he's now leaning against the wall. 387, it's, uh, 23rd and Carson, it's just going to be an assault report. Back. So that was courtesy of TMZ Sports. What you just heard were the 911 calls coming in for the Darrell Rivas incident that happened at 2.43 a.m. Eastern Time last Sunday on Pittsburgh's south side. Uh, Revis is near from there, uh, that area of, of Pittsburgh, of Pennsylvania. So here's the story. I'll give you the story, and, and let's talk about it. So first up, there's two men, young men, ages 21 and 22. They uh, told police that Revis punched him in the face amid a, a verbal altercation. Remember, this is at 2.43 a.m. Witnesses said the two men were unconscious for about 10 minutes, according to police. However, that's in direct contradiction to reports also that I've read saying that the police officer drove past, saw an argument happening, 
Then he came back from turning around, and they were unconscious. Surely that wouldn't have taken 10 minutes, right? That would not have taken 10 minutes. So this, these kids, a 22 and a 21-year-old, they're walking on a street. When they spotted someone who resembled Darrell Rivas, police said. Again, at 2.43 in the morning on Sunday, so Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, the guy confronted Rivas, who said it was him, yes. And at that point, the guy became, became, began recording video on his cell phone. And they continued to follow Rivas. At some point, Darrell Rivas grabbed the cell phone and tried to delete the video. Then he, apparently he threw it into the street. The friend, the 21-year-old, ran after the phone, and then an argument ensued. The two kids told police they were punched, and then all they remember is waking up to talk to the police. The 22-year-old, the original, said that Rivas pushed him in the chest and told him to get out of his face. Witness says it was two men, Rivas and another guy. And the witness said he didn't know whether Rivas or the other guy who helped Rivas knocked the kids out, telling the, the police, quote, I don't know what happened so fast. Obviously, the kid was recording video. Uh, I couldn't obtain the video, but the police said that the video shows, quote, Rivas walking away from the group and the 22-year-old following him, describing what Rivas is wearing. The video then shows Rivas standing in front of White Eagle Bar saying, why are you following me? several times before the video stops, end quote, and that's part of the police report. So Rivas has been released on non-monetary bond after turning himself into police Friday night, a day after he was charged with four felonies and a misdemeanor, including robbery, terroristic threats, and assault. So his next court date will be Thursday throughout Rivas. That I'm human, forget that I'm real, act like you know me. So that's that's Justin Bieber saying, don't act like you know me because you never will. So here's my reaction. Darrell Rivas, you can't blame the guy. I've interviewed Darrell Rivas twice in, I would say, about a year and a couple months' time. A year and three months, maybe. I've interviewed him twice, recently. In two very different sit- settings, situations. And my impression of Darrell Rivas was that he was so calm, so cool, collected, um, just go with the flowy kind of guy. He was even chivalrous. And what I mean by that, for those of you who don't know, maybe that 21 or 22 year old who doesn't know what that word means, means he pulled out a chair for me to sit next to him when I was going to be interviewing him. So that, it, it, that's really hard for me to believe that Darrell Rivas would be so aggressive towards these guys if he wasn't, had already been provo- provoked. Remember, it's 2.43 in the, in, in the morning. That's closing time at bars. Okay? So, I mean, as a, as a teacher, I can, I can attest to being sort of a public figure, obviously not as big as Darrell Rivas, but currently I'm a teacher. So I, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, the same situation. Or even, you know, you go out, people, someone recognizes you. Maybe they were stalking him throughout the bar the whole entire night, following him, but there were two bars in question. Maybe they followed him from one to the other. And then the kid took out the cell phone. He was probably, you know, being nice to them, being nice to them, being nice to them. But do you know what? Enough is enough. The kid took out the cell phone. Were they even heckling him? They might have even been heckling him. I mean, Darrell Rivas didn't have the best year, right? So these kids must have been saying stuff to him all night long, followed him out of the bar at closing time, and Darrell Rivas just had enough. And I could certainly sympathize with that. You're being followed. You're being recorded. And maybe he already had taken a photo with them inside the bar, right? Because that's the kind of guy Darrell Rivas is. That, I mean, I don't know him. 
But that was my impression of him, having met him twice in two very different situations. Interviewing him twice in two very different situations. Cool, calm, collected, easygoing, very relaxed, put me at ease, very chivalrous. I mean, this is, what this came out, this was a very different Darrell Rivas than, than what I've seen, that we know on the field. I, I could definitely believe someone like uh, a Josh Norman doing something like this. You see what he does on the field. You see how irritable he gets on the field. Of course he's going to do it off the field. I've never seen Darrell Rivas act like that on the field. So I'm thinking that this guy, or these two guys, kids, 21 and 22, by the way, at 2.43 in the morning, I wouldn't doubt that these kids were taunting him, heckling him, annoying him. I mean, for Christ's sake, a a guy with a pit helmet, because that's where Darrell Rivas went to school, you know, he's walking to turn himself in on Friday night, and there's a guy with a standing there with a, a pit helmet and a Sharpie trying to get an autograph at the, as the guy's walking to turn himself in. I think that's crazy, and I think is enough is en- enough is enough, right? I mean, of course, it doesn't excuse him knocking the kids out cold, allegedly. We don't know. There were two guys there, so maybe the other guy did it. The witness couldn't confirm it, which guy punched him, and neither could the kids, Right? So all these reporters that are, that are saying his time in New York Jets is coming to an end, you know, you guys got to be kidding me. The Darrell Rivas' time in New York is not coming to an end. It's just clickbait. Don't click. I'm going to tell you what. The Jets love guys like this. The Jets took in Plaxico Burris. They were the first to sign him after he served 20 months in jail. New York State Prison for shooting himself in the leg. Guess who signed him? The Jets. Antonio Cromartie. He's got a, literally a football team worth of kids with all kinds of lawsuits from, from however many mothers of the kids that he has in terms of uh, child support. Guess what? The Jets took him in two. Example one, Plaxico Burris. Example two, Antonio Cromartie. Example three, Sheldon Richardson. The Jets t- still have him on the roster. He's skipped practice. He's been arrested for drug possession, for resisting arrest. He's still on their roster. And guess what? Even Wayne Corbett. You remember Wayne Corbett, one of my favorite Jets of all time. He was charged with disorderly conduct outside Bamboo in Seaside Heights. He pleaded guilty and was fined $230. Braylon Edwards, thank you, on Periscope. Braylon Edwards also. So the Jets, I'm trying to tell you that the Jets love these kind of guys. This is not why the Jets are going to get rid of Darrell Rivas. Now, this is a perfect opportunity for Darrell Rivas to move to safety, to give up his cornerback position and move to safety. And this is the perfect opportunity for him to do it. So I think the Jets are going to play hardball and say, listen, we're going to release you unless you agree to move to safety. And Darrell Rivas is probably going to say, okay. He's probably going to say, you know what? You're right. This is what he should do anyway. He should say, you know what? You're right. I was burnt last year at cornerback. It got into my head. And now I'm going to move to safety. And I'm going to do a great job there. And let a younger guy take over at cornerback. Be the new shutdown cornerback. And I'm going to mentor him. And I'm going to tell him every single thing that I know. And I'm going to be a team player in that regard. So these reporters saying that his time with the New York Jets... uh, it is over. It's just clickbait. Don't click it. Maybe even he can move to the, to the slot. Yes, that was a suggestion on Periscope. Correct. 
However, Darrell Rivas is not done with the New York Jets. Like I just said, the Jets love these kind of guys. They take in these kind of guys. The Plaxico Burrises, the Braylon Edwards, the Burrises, the Cromarties, the Edwards, even the Crebets, the, the Richardsons. Rivas is not gone out of the New York Jets. And for those of everybody that's creating this firestorm, it's just clickbait. Don't click it. But I think that this is a perfect opportunity for him to say, you know what, I'm going to move to safety or, or, or the slot. And I'm going to let somebody else take over at cornerback. Someone said, how bad were the charges against him? Really bad. Felonies, terroristic threats, assault, robbery. But it's all, you know, it's, it's a witness that can't put Revis as the guy who broke the kid's uh, occipital, right? That's a bone, right? Broke his eye socket, basically. So I think Darrell Revis will get over this. I think this is just going to be swept under the rug. And I think people should stop making a big deal about it. His tenure with the Jets is not over as of yet. And I just think that he got caught up in, in, with these kids. And kids is what they are, 21 and 22, they're kids. At 2.45 in the morning, following him, he even told them to leave him alone a couple times, maybe four or five. How many times do you have to tell somebody to leave you alone before you get the hint? But they get the hint, or, or you get too frustrated with them. Obviously, he shouldn't have knocked them out, but we don't know if he, he even was the one who knocked them out. Right? But something happened, and no one could, could say, no one at the scene could say who it was. So sometimes you just get caught up. Were they heckling him? What were they saying to him to cause him to get like that? Because that's not the Darrell Rivas I know and have met. I shouldn't say no. That's not the Darrell Rivas I have met. The cool, calm, collected, chivalrous Darrell Rivas that I've met. We've witnessed the Yankee dynasty as fans. Is this the start of a new one? I hope so. I mean, I want to be a part of it. Uh, you know, there's nothing like winning here in New York. Uh, just being a fan, I, I got to watch a lot of... A lot of these uh, guys win, and the parades, there's nothing better than that. So hopefully I get to experience that, and that, that'll be awesome. Have you ever so that was uh, myself and Darrell um, and uh, Dylan Batantis telling me he wants to remain a Yankee. He wants to be here for the next dynasty. So Dylan Batantis has been dominating headlines as well as Darrell Rivas. And uh, the, the, they went to, the Yankees and Dylan Batantis went to salary arbitration, and the ruling came down, I think it was yesterday. Um, basically what this is is they can't agree on a salary. And Batances and his agents were asking for $5 million a year for this coming season. And the Yankees were saying, no way, we're not paying you $5 million. We're just going to give you $3 million. So both sides make the case. And, you know, what happens is the, the ruling came down that Batances is going to make $3 million a year. Now I heard somebody just say, oh, poor baby, and that's $57,000 a week. He'll live. So the Yankees won, right? And Batances was just, quote, ready to move on. And he was ready to move on past this. Yet, Yankees president Randy Levine said that Batances' agent made a half-baked attempt to use a player to change a well-established market. In addition, he stated that $3 million salary should be a great victory for Dellen Batances and that his request for more money had no bearings in reality. And $5 million, he goes on to say that $5 million goes to elite closers. This is Randy Levine, Yankees president. Pitchers who pitch the ninth inning and have a lot of saves. Dellen didn't have that record. He never did. It's like me saying, I'm not the president of the Yankees. I'm an astronaut. I'm not an astronaut. And Dellen Batances is not a closer. 
That's Randy Levine. Maybe he's not a closer for the Yankees, but Dylan Betances could be a closer anywhere he wants. He could be an MLB closer, no doubt. That's not a doubt. There's no doubt. Just because the Yankees have overpaid uh, Aroldis Chapman, of course, that's why they're saying that. Betances goes in and says, it's going to be easier for me after this season now to be a free agent. Meaning, like, Randy Levine has, has stifled any relationship I, I wanted to have or, or strained any relationship that I have with the Yankees team. So it's going to be easier to go into free agency at the end of this year where the contract is. Let's hear from Taylor Swift. So that should be his walk-up song when he comes in, don't you think? Now we have Bad Blood, Taylor Swift, right? So my take of, of all this whole thing is, listen, yes, $3 million a year is a lot. $5 million is a year is a lot. So why don't we just agree on four and everybody's happy, right? And I just think that Randy Levine is better off seen and not heard, right? We heard from him and we talked about it on here. Uh, when he talked about legend seats should only be... Uh, for, you know, the rich, the extra rich. No, that's not what it is. People like me save their money to sit in the legend seats all year round for one game, right? And and look for a deal. Yet Randy Levine gets on there and says that it should only be, you know, like whatever, what, what was this quote? If someone can find it for me, the quote was like basically that, you know, that's reserved for, for the upper crust Yankee fans, those seats, not not for everybody. Those seats aren't for everybody. I took personal offense to that. That was my first strike, no pun intended, against Randy Levine. He should just keep his mouth shut, right? And then they had that great contest. I forget, one of the late-night hosts had that great contest where you submit yourself wearing, you know, frumpy clothes to to get on. They had four seats right behind home plate, which would be on TV at all times, and four Ninja Turtle con- uh, costumes won. So they had Ninja Turtles sitting behind home plate. So Randy Levine enticed all of that, too. He's creating a culture that's not, in my opinion, um, safe for this Yankee team. Obviously, Yankees have fans all over the world. It's the most recognizable brand. I think one of the most expensive uh, net worth teams in all of sports. But if Randy Levine keeps opening his mouth, he is going to – people aren't going to want to come here. He's building this culture that's not a good look for the Yankees saying that they're not going to pay their stars. I mean, Dylan Batances is a star. He comes in the game, it's like, you know, the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, or 7th, 8th, and ninth. If the Yankees have a lead after the 7th inning, the game is pretty much over. Randy Levine, he's been there for a long time. Yet, I, I think there's a bigger picture issue here with the Steinbrenners that are now in charge. Hal Steinbrenner. I mean, I wasn't really around. I was too young for George Steinbrenner. But with Randy Levine and George Steinbrenner, I think Randy Levine... Kept his mouth shut. He should be seen and not heard. If those are his feelings, that's fine. But he should keep it behind closed doors because he's ruining the culture around this team, slowly but surely. And these guys in these business suits that sit in these legend seats for $400, $500, up to $1,500 a pop for these seats, they're gone by the fifth inning. They're not even there to see Dylan Batances come into the game as a relief pitcher. And by the way... Uh, years ago, they used approximately maybe two pitchers a game, maybe three pitchers a game. Last season, the average for all of the teams, four pitchers a game were used. So if he keeps denying that middle relievers aren't worth 
the money, spending the money, this Randy Levine, well, then he's got an issue. The Yankees are going to have an issue long term if he doesn't come to grips with realizing that. And now he's enticed Dylan Betances to test the open market, the free agency market, at the end of this season to see what he can get and to pit one team against each other and drive the bid up. So in this case, it works out for Dylan Betances. And now, of course, I, I've yet to see Randy Levine backtrack on that statement anywhere in, in the media. Not that it's going to matter because the damage is already done. And I think Yankee fans love Dylan Betances. And I think he does a great job. And I feel bad for him in this sense. He's a hometown guy. He's from the Bronx. Or the lower, the, and then he was born in the Bronx, I think, and moved to the Lower East Side. His parents, he bought his parents a house in Teaneck, right here in Teaneck. So he's, he's a local kid, and he's been with the Yankees all of his six years here. Give him a little bit of respect, right? And don't go negotiating in the media. That's the thing. Don't go negotiating to the media. You won. The worst thing is that you won, and you're still rubbing his face in the dirt. Just shut up, close your office door, and be done with it. Okay, what the f- <laughs> So did you hear Cleveland Cavaliers Kylie Irving jumped on a podcast, which was called Road Trippin' with RJ and Channing, which is Richard Jefferson. You know him as a former uh, net. And Channing Fry was here with the Knicks for a little while. He made himself look like an uneducated moron. Kyrie Irving, you are a moron because he jumps on here and I'll play it for you in a minute he jumps on here and he says with conviction that the world is flat no I'm not kidding here it is earth is flat oh, oh okay, here, here we go. go earth is flat earth is flat Wait. have okay, you ever had go. vertigo the earth is not flat <laughs> Let's Come go. on, Kai. No, I'm just saying that all stuff. these things, all these things that particular groups, I won't even pinpoint one group, that they, that they almost offer up this education. The fact that in our lifetimes that there are so many holes and so many pockets in our history, up, in, our, in our history, unbelievable. But by the way, by the way, I want to go. I want to say that the there, is, there, there is oh, just God. history. I don't want to dictate it to one race, dictate it to any one particular type of people or anything like that history is history and it's happened long before us and it's going to happen after us and it always repeats itself somehow in some way yeah because we're stupid. all these things that they keep giving to us all right all the this BS. information they're giving us bad hamburgers from uh, mcdonald's dog <laughs> you like the hamburgers i don't eat the hamburgers I'm only you can compare sandwich. to watching your child be born yeah i have okay. three so right. i've seen i've seen a lot of things. i'm just saying that these things that ultimately used to put me in fear in this yeah. thing and it used to be like oh man it makes you not want to question it naturally yes. because of how much information you actually can figure out and how much information there actually is out there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You can, anything that you have a particular question on, okay, is the, wor- is the, is the world flat? Is the, is, the world, flat. is the earth flat or round? Yeah. I think you need to do research on it, like, ultimately. But who's I'm not to gonna say the research that you do is going to give you the answer? Like, oh, it's, who actually oh, it's has the answer? Because it's right in front of our faces. It's, I'm telling you, it's right in front of our faces. They, they, they lie to us. 
Who? Who? So, wait, 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 that's wait. what I'm saying. The that, man. That, that, that's the question. It's not the man. It's not the man. <laughs> it's not the man. It's not the man. What are we in a 1998 <laughs> movie? Yeah, the man. Oh, wait. I was just talking to somebody about the man the other day. I got mad at him the other day. Yeah, the man. He's holding me down. He's holding me down. That. That. What were we saying? So wait, guys. So it took me off. It took me off. Who are you like, so, Oh, who are they? Yeah. They. They. Okay. Kai, real quick, real okay. quick. Okay, real quick. Do you believe the Earth is round or flat? Look, look for for what I've known for as many years, and, and what, what I've been come taught. to believe, what I've been taught is that the Earth is round. Yes. But I mean, if you really think about it from a landscape of the way we travel, the way we move, and the fact that can you really think of us rotating around the Sun and all planets aligned, rotating in uh, specific dates being perpendicular with what's going on with these planets and stuff like this. How are you going to put planets in quotations? I'm going to put planets because everything that they send or (laughs) they want to say that they're sending. (laughs) They thought Pluto was a planet until like four years ago. It doesn't come back. There is no no concrete information except for the information that they're giving us. Okay, so I'm just going to cut that off. I mean, what is this guy a moron? The Earth is flat? Planets aren't things? What is his level of education? None? No level of education? This guy is Kyrie Irving. He makes billions and millions of dollars a year for the Cavaliers. And he doesn't know that the world is round. That the Earth is spherical. That it travels around in circles. And, and here it is at the All-Star Weekend. A reporter tries to question him on it. And he just makes it worse. Listen. Does it matter? Yeah. For what? Well, I mean, What's so important about that? You have millions of fans. Out of, out of all the podcasts, that's what you took out of it? The Flat Earth? You were asked again about yeah. it. And the fact that that could be news all over the world just shows you how... What does it show? How it is. I mean, the fact that it's a social phenomenon that Kyrie thinks the world is flat is hilarious. Well, again, you have lots and lots of fans. And these, the fans does that affect them? It, it may. Oh, okay. I mean, it, don't really, it doesn't really have a, you know, a relevance over my life. I mean, you know, I just feel like that the fact that it's even a conversation is hilarious. You know, that that could actually be news. That's hilarious to me. Some people thought you were joking. You're not joking, though, right? No, I mean, it was just like a it was just like a point that, you know, the fact that that could actually be real news. Like, everything that's going on that Kyrie Irving thinks the world is flat. So, like, it was, I mean, we got ask, like, relevant, relevant questions. What's going on in the world? Like, what's really going on? But, you know what I'm saying? Or what I what I really believe, or you know who I really am. That that'd be nice, but the fact that that's what everyone got out of the podcast, that's you know that's hilarious to me. Well, we can get to who you are, yeah. certainly. But is, is this something that you believe? I mean, does it matter? That's what that's what I'm asking. Well, like, does it matter to you? Like that I think that the world is flat, or I think that the world is round. I mean, you or 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 is it like just the fact that we're sitting here asking, you know, answering asking questions? Do I, do I think the world is flat? Okay, this is just, I, I have to, I have to get rid of this. So this dates back, let me tell you, let me tell you the history of the world here. Let, let's just talk about this. The history of the world, this dates back to Christopher Columbus times and even before that. Okay, Kyrie Irving, here's your lesson. Here's your history lesson um, from an Italian teacher. Here we go. This dates back to Christopher Columbus times, okay, and even before. But I'll tell you that Christopher Columbus thought that when he sailed the ocean blue, he would fall off the side of the world in his ship. And when he didn't, in 1492, we found out for sure 
1492, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, that the world is actually round. So before he was even to, able to go out and prove this, this Christopher Columbus guy that you may or may not have heard about, Kyrie Irving, ancient Greek scholars like Aristotle, have you ever heard of him? Actually proposed it, and they didn't have the technology to figure it out themselves. But they knew it. So you know when that was? Do you know when Aristotle was born, Kyrie Irving? He was born in 384 B.C. B.C., before Christ. So for over 2,000 years, we know, or a fact, that the world is round. There is science, thousands of years of science, backing that up. These conspiracy theories that you cite, uh, there are pockets in our history. History is history, to use your own words, Kyrie Irving. History is history. And if he wants to really talk about, quote, what's really going on in the world, how, in fact, would he have any credibility now and moving forward? If you believe that the world is flat, the earth is flat, I don't want to discuss any other issue with you because you are quite uneducated and uninformed. For a fact that has stood for over 2,000 years. That's why we say this every week, that athletes should stick to their lane. He should just stick to basketball. Because that's what he's good at. And that's what he should stick with. He shouldn't dare talk about current events and history. History in the past and history in the future because you know what you're an idiot Kyrie Irving you are a moron I think everybody watching that would agree and listening to this today would agree that you are a moron so what the F the world is round the world is round Kyrie Irving no it's not flat and no if you ever were on a yacht you will never fall off the world into these quotes planets, into this quotes space. It's never going to happen. Because guess what? The world is round. <laughs> and, and into some other crazy, crazy news. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather might be fighting after months and months of speculation. Well, Floyd Mayweather, who was a boxer, retired boxer, and Conor McGregor, a UFC champion, both champions, ever get in a ring together? There's been a war of words being exchanged between the two champions for months. And the newest flare-up this past week has some blogs and websites, including ESPN, already declaring that the fight will, in fact, take place. Um, but I, I foresee some problems because McGregor's contract is, uh, you know, he's still under contract with the UFC. He has applied for his boxing license in California, not Nevada. Could that have been this, his meeting, the, the premise of his meeting this week? He did go to uh, Las Vegas. Conor McGregor was in Las Vegas this past week. And uh, he has been uh, on Twitter saying a couple things. Uh, of the fact that as something along the lines of he was sitting in like a, a throne and I, I believe the quote in the caption of that throne was I'm in Las Vegas and Floyd has retired on my arrival 
So Floyd Mayweather sends something back. It's like a type note. It's like tit for tat. He's, he's sending a, a, a note back saying basically like, okay, no, I'm here. If you want to do it, let's do it. And uh, so I asked what, you know, I had interviewed uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini not long ago, Mancini, at the um, Italian American Baseball launch event with uh, Mint Pros in, in Brooklyn. So I asked him, I said, will there be a McGregor versus Mayweather match? And I proposed the question to him. And he, he's a legendary boxer in his own right. Here's what he had to say. UFC star Conor McGregor calling out Mayweather. Well, he's out of his mind. Look, <laughs> if you want to make it a, a UFC fight, you'll, you'll choke on May, Mayweather and I'll be it. Yeah. Whether it was just a pure boxing match, you'll get whacked out by Mayweather in one round. That's a done deal. Yeah. It's just stupid. Him as a champion should understand and have the respect for other champions and their and their genre. But Mayweather, I mean, you know, they're, they're both crazy. Those goofies, you know, as they come. Yeah, he's so. hit too many times. Right. <laughs> So they're both as goofy as they come, he said, and that Conor McGregor should, as a champion, have respect for other champions. Those are some fighting words, if if you ask me. <laughs> Those are some fighting words. And you know boxers. They are, you know, the, the ultimate showboaters and things like that. And the final thing of this was on February 15th. The final thing I've heard anyway was a tweet from Floyd Mayweather saying, listen, Conor McGregor, if you really want to get this fight done, take care of your business with the UFC. And then have your people get in touch with my people. Drops the mic. And that's the last thing coming out of Floyd Mayweather's Twitter account. Uh, So I'm wondering how this would even go. What is the logistics of this? Because you know what? I'm not really sure. Mayweather is a boxer. Conor McGregor is a UFC fighter. What kind of match is this going to be? Is this going to be an MMA fight? Mancini talked about this. Is this going to be an MMA fight or is this going to be a boxing match? Because either way, it's going to be very one-sided for whoever's genre that it's in. So maybe they're going to go with something totally different. Maybe they're going to go with maybe like a wrestling match. Right. And what weight class? And there's a lot of things that need to be figured out here. That's why I think this is not going to happen despite all of this. But man, can you imagine the revenue this would generate? Obviously, it would be held in Las Vegas. That's the, the fight capital of the world is Las Vegas, right? That's where the UFC originated. That's when the heyday of boxing, that, you know, Man- Mancini, one of his best and most um, famous fights is outside Caesars Palace Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, right on the strip, outside. People were sitting in bleachers that were erected. I don't know what they're going to do with this. You know, these are two, this is like a baseball player and a football player challenging each other to a contest yet we don't know how this is going to happen is it going to be a home run derby obviously the baseball player is going to win or is it going to be a a field goal kicking contest obviously the football player is going to win you know what i mean so these are two different genres mma and boxing unless they do a special thing where they they allow some things and not allow some other things and do like a hybrid a mix of both but man the revenue this would generate this would be the who's who of sports don't you think Paying thousands, millions of dollars to sit courtside, ringside, if you will. Anybody who's anybody's going to be at this. People, Justin Bieber's going to be ringside. I think he hangs with with Floyd Mayweather. I mean, the stars and the stars and the stars and and who's who of sports would be at this event. I think I might even watch that event. I'd pay-per-view for that. 
I think I would. So McGregor Mayweather, uh, I guess we're going to hit the to be continued on that button because we're not totally sure uh, what's going to happen with that. But I definitely 100% will keep you updated definitely on that. Jonathan Hankins from New York Giants. You're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on 90.3 FM. So uh, Giants fans, listen up. Adrian Peterson, you know him, AP from the Vikings. He's been tweeting, or he tweeted that, quote, the Giants, the Giants been making some interesting moves, end quote. Does that mean Peterson wants to come to the Giants? I mean, it's possible. The Giants, and this would not be a bad move, the Giants struggled tremendously with their run game this season. Tremendously. I feel like Donald Trump. Tremendous. And at times, they were like last or, or second to last, week to week. And... By the way, Adrian Peterson only played in three games for the Vikings last season. He was hurt through, I think, week, whatever week it was. And, he, you know, for last season, he only totaled 72 yards, and he did not find the end zone once. He's turning 32 in March, as per my research here. He's kind of old, but I think he's got a great track record in terms of career stats. He's got almost 12,000 yards, 95.5 yards a game, 97 touchdowns. And I don't even know, maybe the Giants rushed for over 100 yards per game, I don't know, twice all of last season. My dad's on Periscope saying if the price is right. Nick Alfano, capital no, I don't want him. Why not? He averages 95.5 yards a game, 97 touchdowns. That's more than any of the Giants running backs uh, combined. The Giants were so one-dimensional, and that's what hurt them in the playoffs. The Giants were so one-dimensional that it led to their demise. Nick Alfano saying he's old, washed up, and a child abuser. No thanks. Oh, boy. Prior to last season, you know, he got hurt last season, but prior to that, I think his numbers are great. I think I think that would be a good move for the Giants if they can get it. You know, they're not going to spend a million dollars on him, millions and millions. If they can get him at a good price, I think it's a good move because, remember, the Giants are in a win-now mode. The Giants are win-now. All they need is a running game. And with a running game, they need to shore up the offensive line a little bit. That's the, the offensive line is the key to everything, in my opinion. The key to the offense is the offensive line. The Giants have had some holes in that, a little Swiss cheese at times. And Nick Alfano thinks Paul Perkins will be good enough. We'll see. I don't think so. I think Adrian Peterson is the answer. They need somebody, a veteran back there. They let go of Rashad Jennings. The Giants also let go of Victor Cruz this week. Not that he's a running back, but I'm just saying. Uh, and I think, it, you know, look at the Giants. They're in a win-now mode. They made it to the playoffs. All they needed was a running game. Not even a good one. Just an effective one. Just enough to make the defense guess. Right? Because if you have a, a multifaceted offense, the defense can't guess what you're going to do at all times. So the Giants are in a win-now mode, and I think Adrian Peterson would be a good move. Yet maybe this might be uh, a way to get the uh, the Vikings on their horse a little bit to keep him there. People love him in Minnesota. So we'll see. But if the Giants are win now, and the only thing that they're missing is a running game, I think we can all agree, I think AP's their man. So last night, I had the pleasure of interviewing Henrik Lundqvist, who is Mr. Ranger. He is one of the most famous Rangers of all time. One of the best goalies in the history of hockey. 
And I was able to talk with him one-on-one for six minutes last night. And that might not seem long, but the caliber of player that he is, and I'm wearing right now, if you could see, a Henrik Lundqvist 30. It's a foundation. King, Ken Henrik t-shirt, Lundqvist on the back. I mean, this guy's a legend. This guy's a hockey legend. He's going to number be retired in, in, the, hall, in the Rangers Hall of Fame. Um, in the rafters of Madison Square Garden, we're going to see number 30, you know, sooner rather than later, I believe. And we talked about a lot of different things. And, and he was there doing a hockey camp with kids. I asked him, you know, he was number 105, picked uh, uh, 205th in the seventh round, I believe, of the, of the NHL draft. I asked him, did he ever meet Tom Brady, number 199, in the NFL draft? And you'll see what he says. Also, as a Jet fan, I have to I have to ask him because I asked Nick Mangold the same question: Does he ever notice when Nick Mangold is in the crowd? <laughs> because the the Jet fans are the Jets when they go to Rangers games are pretty raucous. So I, I wondered if he if he ever knew when and take note of when Nick Mangold and crew are there. Because I asked Nick Mangold and he said he's just being a fan. I asked him about being the fastest of twelve goalies to reach the four hundred win club. I talked about today. The Rangers are playing today at 1230. The Washington Capitals are coming to town. Best team, hottest team in the NHL. Um, Has it come full circle for you in New York? And the best question I think I had was, do you feel that you need a Stanley Cup to cement your legacy as the best goaltender of all time? And I had a great fan question come in. Would you ever consider leaving New York to pursue a ring? So here's myself, Danielle McCartan, and Henrik Lundqvist, goaltender for the New York Rangers. I'm Daniel McCartan coming to you from the Sky Rink at Chelsea Piers with none other than King Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist, a goaltender for the New York Rangers. Now, three-time All-Star, gold medal, Olympian. Um, which player did you grow, uh, grow up most admiring? Uh, I had a few. Uh, a couple of guys in Sweden back in the late 80s. Uh, Peter Lindmark, he was the best at the time. But then I started watching the NHL a little bit more. And Patrick Raw, Domenkashi, those two guys I really uh, I really enjoy watching them play. Now, they battle, they compete in Now you have 50 kids here that idolize you. What is that like to teach the game of hockey to, to kids like that? Well, I, I just enjoy seeing their uh, their fire. You know, they, you can see they love the game. They love what they're doing. Uh, I've been running a goalie camp back in Sweden now for 12 years. So every wow. time you go back home, you see all these kids. and I, I see myself. I see myself in that age where... Uh, you dream big and, and, and you just want to go out there and have fun and try to improve. And for me, it's about trying to inspire them. Just work a little bit harder and, and give them an extra push. Now, at pick number 205, um, is that still a motivating factor for you? Uh, no, not anymore. But I, I think when it happened, I was happy I was drafted, but right. it definitely helped me get a little extra motivated that the next couple years. Obviously, I wanted to prove to them that they made the right choice to pick me, and, right. and I also realized there was a lot of work ahead of me before I was ready to play in the NHL, but um, I don't use that as motivation anymore. I have other, other things to, that pops up in my head, I think. Yeah, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have a lot in common with number 199, Tom Brady. Have you ever met him? Yes, I have. Yeah, I met him uh, a couple months ago in the city. I mean, obviously, I have a lot of respect for any athlete that accomplished so much, right. you know, and I, I, it's very interesting to, to talk to, 
other athletes. It doesn't have to be hockey. And just to hear their story and how they approach the game, how they prepare, and, and uh, I really enjoy that. Now, I'm a Jet fan, and I've noticed Nick Mangold at a couple of your games. Do you pay attention when he's there? Because he causes quite a ruckus. Um, you know what? I, a lot of times I try just to, to focus on my game and my performance a lot yeah. of times. And, and um, sometimes there's some games, obviously, it's easy to get distracted, but for the most part, you're pretty locked in on what you have to do, and, and you have two and a half hours where Zoned. the only thing that matters is stopping the next shot. <laughs> so you're the fastest goalie of, of only 12 goalies to reach the 400 club. What's that like for you, and what's your next goal moving forward? Well, my goal right now is to uh, just improve my game here, try to be even better, help the team to get more wins going down the stretch, and, and then prepare for playoffs. We, we want to go for a big push, obviously. We want to try to win. That's our goal. That's right. our dream, right. my dream. Um, and, and I think that's... Um, you try not to look too far. Right. You know, it's, it's here now, the, the upcoming week, the next game, really, and, and, and that's it. Because we have so much coming up. If you, if you look too, too, too far, it's, it's going to be hard to be focused on all the things you need to do right right now. So let's talk tomorrow. The Capitals are coming yeah, to town, yeah. riding a six-game winning streak, one of the hottest in the NHL, top of your division. What are you looking for in that game, and how big would it be to come away with a win tomorrow? Yeah, it, it's a great test for us. Uh, like you said, probably the best team in the league right now. Uh, they were amazing last year. This mm -hmm. year, a very consistent team. So uh, for us to, to win that game, we need to play our best game. Okay. Um, we, we need good defense. We need to be able to create a lot of good chances. They have good goaltending. So, uh, yeah, it comes at a good time. I think it's a good test right now to, to face this team. Now you hear chance of Henrik, Henrik, first game. Now your, your 400th win game. Has it come full circle for you in New York? It was uh, a special moment, you know, to, to feel that love. I could just feel the last 10 minutes of that game and then reaching that milestone at home. Yeah. Uh, it meant a lot to me. And, and yeah, obviously that was a moment where you reflect a little bit where, where you are in your career and, and how you got there. Right. And uh, the fans, uh, they played a big part in, in, in that. Like they're coming here and then feeling that support right away, the first home game. And, uh, I, I enjoyed every second of it, so that was a special moment for me. Now, do you feel, you're one of the best goaltenders of all time, do you feel now that you would need a Stanley Cup to cement your legacy forever? I don't think about my legacy when I play. The only thing I think about is, is try to win, and I want it badly. I mean, that's my goal, that's my dream. That's why I go to work every day to try to improve my game and, and try to help this team to win. Now, uh, I, yeah, I had a, a fan question come in. He wants to know, he's very concerned, would you ever consider leaving New York in order to pursue the ring? No. Good. No. Very uh, good. New York is my home, and, and you know, they've been giving me this great opportunity to play a lot of hockey, and I, 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 like I said, I, really, I, I loved every second being here, uh, being part of this organization, and, and uh, so my goal is to stay here, absolutely. Cool. Can we do a quick lightning round of uh, word association lightning round? Uh, it's quick. Yeah, he will. All right. Your favorite music group, not the Swedish House Mafia. Uh, I say Foo uh, Fighters. Okay, U.S. Open or Wimbledon? Ooh. U.S. Open. Best hockey movie ever made? Ah, uh, pass. Pass. <laughs> Have you ever read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? That's a Swedish author. Uh, I've seen the movie. Okay, yeah. counts. That counts. And uh, thoughts on Swedish fish? 
Uh, like them. Good. And final one, Swedish meatballs or Italian meatballs? Swedish meatballs. Great. So I'm Danielle McCartan with Henrik Lundqvist, and thank you very much. <laughs> so that was cool, right? He, he, I'm glad he did the, uh, the thing at the yes. end there. I mean, I just feel honored to have been able to interview such a well-known, well-distinguished hockey star. And uh, Nick Alfano and I were just talking in the comments section here that he thinks that Martin Brodeur is the best of all time. And and I'm wondering, I don't know, because, I mean, I looked up Brodeur's career save percentage, 9-12. Lundqvist is 9-20 career save percentage. Nick says he's a total package. Marty was an amazing puck handler, like a third defenseman. He's got three rings, and he's clutching the biggest spots. And that Marty's last couple years hurt his stats. In his prime, no one better. Go Devs. True Devils fan, Nick Alfano. I mean, it's not... See, I just feel bad for the good players that are stuck on, should I say it, bad teams, non-championship teams, and that's what Henrik Lundqvist is. He's got an allegiance, as you heard, to the New Jersey, I mean, the the New York Rangers. And I think the allegiance is going to hurt him long term because he doesn't have any rings. Don't forget, you can call in at any time, 201-825-1234. Revis is on deck here. What do we got? Revis. Um, how he punched the guy out. Is his career in New York done? Uh, we could talk about Lundquist a little bit if you want. We could do Lundquist. Cleveland Cavaliers Kyrie Irving. What's up with that? Let's talk McGregor Mayweather. Let's talk Della Matansis. What do you guys got? Call in 201-825-1234. Here's the jingle. Got something to say? Call the studio. 201-825-1234. All right, so here's the 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. Sixty-minute overtime hurry-up offense with Danielle McCartan. Okay, in the MLB, we'll move to the MLB first. There are going to be uh, spring training games are going to set to open in three days. The Mets' David Wright is scheduled to play catch today for the first time after injury. Good news for Mets fans. NBA All-Star Weekend in New Orleans. Glenn Robinson III leaped over a teammate, the Pacers mascot, and a cheerleader to win the slam dunk title. The Rockets' Eric Gordon topped Kyrie Irving in a tiebreaker to win the three-point contest. And at 7 foot 3 inches, Nick's Kristaps Porzingis won the All-Star Skills Competition. Includes dribbling, passing, shooting, in a race setting. Quote, he said, it's a good feeling. To show the kids what you're capable of doing, even if you're tall and lanky like me. End quote. Moving to the NHL, after being up 3-zip, the New Jersey Devils held the New York Islanders 3-2 in a divisional game at the Prudential Center last night. The Rangers are to retire Jean Rattel's number 19 next season, the ninth in their history. Rattel is 76 years old and ranks among the top three in Rangers history in pretty much every offensive category. No date has been set. The Rangers will welcome the red-hot Washington Capitals to the Garden at 12.30 p.m. today in a Metropolitan Division matchup. The Rangers are looking to spoil the Capitals' six-game win streak, tied for best in the league. With your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense, I'm Danielle McCartan. And now here's my interview with John Flaherty, former Yankees catcher, Yankees, uh, Rays, Tampa Bay Devil Rays when they were the Devil Rays, San Diego Padres. Uh, And here's myself and uh, John Flaherty, who is now in the Yes Network broadcast booth. 
John Flaherty, Yankees catcher. That's how I, how I always remember you. Red Sox, Rays too. And he's uh, on the team. Well, you got the Tigers in there, the, the Tigers, Padres. The Padres, that's yeah. right. And uh, we're here in Pearl River, New York um, for a fundraiser for yeah. baseball in, uh, at Brew House, at the Brew House. So I wanted to first talk, uh, you played, this is a fan question from my cousin, and he's a Rays fan. And he wanted to know, he wanted me to ask you about playing in the inaugural game as a Devil Ray okay. at the time. And what was that like for you? Well, it was incredibly exciting. You know, I got it traded from the Padres to Tampa Bay, and I remember my agent saying, you know, the community's going to blow up for this team, and there was so much excitement. And I remember running sprints before the uh, first game, and the stadium's packed, you know, and it was early. It was about a half hour before the game. Everybody was excited. Uh, Wilson Alvarez threw ball one. Um, you know, catching the ball and throwing it out, a part of history was really cool. We ended up losing the game. Uh, vividly remember that but most importantly I remember coming out for the second game and the stadium was half full and I remember thinking it went from a sellout opening night to half full uh, this isn't a good sign and obviously uh, we had some lean years there you know we didn't win a whole lot of games the fan support wasn't great and they're still struggling to uh, to figure it out down there yeah now if you wanted to ask me to, to compare it to how they are now I mean I've been to Yankee games in Tampa I think those might be the biggest draw that they of have course. down there. Yeah. And as a, as a Tampa Bay player, you know, when the Red Sox would come in, the Yankees would come in, everybody would say, well, you've got to be annoyed that all these people are cheering for the other teams. And it wasn't that way. We had a full building. You know, it was exciting to have a crowd there. Um, the atmosphere down there is incredibly different with the organization. They're doing things the right way, you know, player development. Um, so I think that organizationally, they're but uh, they need a new stadium. They need to get out of St. Pete. It's so dark and dreary, yeah. that stadium. Yeah. And also, I, I would say that the retired community in St. Peter's, uh, they're living on fixed income, you know, so it's tough for them to get to the games. You bring it over to Tampa Bay, there's a little more money. It's a younger crowd. I yeah. think they would do better. Yeah. Um, now, what would you say, you know, you know, we'd be here all night talking about your career, but what would you say the crowning moment of your career was? Wow. Um, your most memorable moment, something that sticks out. Yeah, I don't think I had just one. I mean, every kid dreams of what that first day in the big leagues is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky enough that it happened in the old Yankee Stadium. I grew up in West Nyack, New York, and here I am being introduced in front of 56,000 people at the stadium that I watched games as a kid. Yeah. Uh, I'm still getting chills thinking about that. I mean, it was a, it was a perfect story. Uh, remember my first at bat, my first hit. You know, those individual moments were huge. But, you know, coming and playing for the Yankees and playing in the postseason, playing in a World Series, losing a World Series, but that whole experience, um, there isn't really one moment. It's more like 14 years of hard work and determination, and there are a lot of great memories in there. Speaking of memories, you're an old-timer now. Yeah, no offense. thank you. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> but, um... Taking look, take, taking a look at all the old timers games, meeting all the older guys. Yeah. What sticks out to you from that experience? Well, first of all, as a player, when you're where you're an everyday player, the old timers are around all the time, mm -hmm. so you get to know these guys. So when I was invited for the old timers day the first time, uh, I laughed. I didn't feel like I belonged there. I was a backup catcher to Jorge Posada. I shouldn't be playing in an old timers game. Yeah. And I remember walking in that clubhouse at eight o'clock in the morning, and 
the old guys like embraced me. They were so happy to see me. Uh, they had a couple of uh, adult beverages flowing early in the morning. Yeah, and I was like, all right, I like these guys. It's going to be great. Um, so I, I make sure that I can make it every year because uh, I've kind of gotten away from that overwhelming feeling like I don't belong in this room with these people uh, because of what they've done in a baseball field, but they've made me feel so welcome. Now, we've seen it before with uh, Lyrics and Pettit, you and Randy Johnson. Yeah. How does a, a relationship develop between a catcher, you know, you were his, his personal catcher. Yeah. How does that relationship develop? Well, that relationship was dictated by Joe Torre. Um, Jorge Posada and Randy didn't get along very well. Uh, Jorge was intimidated by Randy Johnson, and, and Joe Torre thought that, that we needed to make a change. He asked me to yell at Randy Johnson for nine innings every time I caught him. And I didn't get along well with Randy. Personality-wise, we weren't friendly. Uh, we didn't talk to each other in between starts, but when he took the mound, I would be on him for nine innings, and for some reason it worked. So uh, it wasn't like we were good friends and got along. We were probably as far from friends as could be, um, but the professional relationship during those three hours of the game worked for some reason, and Joe Torre recognized it and stuck with it. And a fan question from Lenny. Lenny. Wants, you know, you met Lenny. Yeah. Um, he wants to know, did that ever cause any friction in the clubhouse, being a personal catcher? Great, great question from Lenny. Um, when Joe Torre came to me about Randy Johnson, the first person I went to was Jorge Posada and said, I don't want this to ru ruin our relationship because we got along really well. And Jorge said, listen, I just want him to win. I want us to win whatever it takes. That eliminated all the problems. I was in Tampa Bay where Wilson Alvarez wanted to pitch to Mike DeFelice. Um, I had the same attitude, like, okay, just want to win the games. But it hurts. You know, you're, you're, I prided myself on working with a pitching staff. So to have a personality that didn't quite work, uh, it was an adjustment, but you find a way to try to win ballgames. All right, and then I had a, another question from my uncle Leo. <laughs> Uh, behind the plate, the same plate as Yogi Berra, Thurman Munson. Did you ever kind of just sit back and be like, wow? Yes, yes. I, I played at the old Yankee Stadium as a senior in high school in the Daily News All-Star Game. And I vividly remember sitting behind home plate thinking this is where Thurman Munson caught. And I was a big Thurman Munson fan as a kid. Um, I would, as a Yankee, would sit behind that plate and do the same thing. Like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here um, with all the great Yankees that have, that have sat behind this plate. Um, and I think there's something special about the legacy of the Yankee catchers. And Jorge Posada was great in how much he recognized it, how much it meant to him, uh, how much it meant to me in a small way to be a part of that was pretty special. Now, Flash, where did that nickname come from? I couldn't find that anywhere. We're on camera, right? So I don't know if I can uh, oh, tell no. you. No. Um, Flash goes all the way back to 1988, my first day of minor league baseball, professional baseball. I drove up to Elmira in New York. I met a left-handed pitcher by the name of John Dolan, um, and he, we introduced each other to ourselves, you know, ourselves to each other, mm -hmm. and he heard my last name, and he asked me if I was related to a Timmy Flaherty who also went to Boston College, and I said that I wasn't, and he said, well, we used to call him Flash Flaherty because he would go out at night at the bars and at the parties and do some things that would get him the nickname Flash Flaherty. Oh, so the next, I didn't think anything of it, the next day I go to a workout and he calls me Flash and that was 1988 and I cannot get rid of it. Oh no. Yeah, and that's the true original story of where Flash came from. Now, it seems to be like there's a lost art now. Like you don't see many guys with nicknames, you know, the Catfish Hunter. Like. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that, do you think there's a lost art in that? And if, what is the best one that you've recently heard of? 
Well, I think, you know, part of the great thing about being part of any team, whether it's Little League, high school, college, professionally, uh, you get 25 guys and 25 different personalities, you're going to come up with a lot of strange conversations, and usually that's where a lot of those nicknames uh, came from, and a lot of times we can't tell you where they came from because <laughs> they're, they're X-rated, or at least R-rated. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, then don't. This is a family show. <laughs> yes, here, we so. want to keep it clean. <laughs> now, MLB Hall of Fame Yankee edition. I wanted to pick your brain as the analyst cap now. All right. We talked a little bit at the Yogi Berra Museum, but uh, Jorge Posada, you played with him, very tight relationship with him. Yep. He's just not a Hall of Famer. He's endeared here in New yep. York. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. What do you think? I'm totally on board with you. Um, I'm lucky enough now that I played against these guys who are going into the Hall of Fame, right. and I admit that I'm terrible with the statistics and how they rank against everybody else. My judgment for a Hall of Fame is I faced Randy or Roger Clemens and I had no chance against Roger Clemens. That's a Hall of Famer to me. Randy Johnson when I faced him, no chance. Pedro Martinez. Um, Jorge Posada was an unbelievably great player, switch hitter, productive, what he did behind the plate. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer but I also don't think he should have been off the ballot in one year. I thought he should have gotten more than five percent. Um, and if you talk to Jorge it doesn't matter to him. I mean he, his legacy what he's proud of is more his Yankee legacy, uh, again, being that Yankee catcher and continuing that, that prideful experience. So I, I wish he would have had more years to be on the ballot because I think his case would have gotten stronger through the years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, Jeter's number being retired in May, what's the atmosphere of the stadium going to be like? I couldn't even get tickets to that game. <laughs> oh, we might have to help you out with that one then. So, uh, you know what, it's, it's going to be fun because Derek is such a low-key guy that I'm sure he's going to be overwhelmed. I'm sure he's going to want to fly under the radar. But then again, I'm sure he's going to nail his speech like he always has and everything that he's ever done in the past. So I'm hoping that I'm working that day. You know, I was able yeah. to work Derek's 3,000 hit game. Um, was incredible. And I would just, I love working those games because you can sit kind of take a seat back and just really digest it. And I'm looking more forward to what Derek is going to have to say because he always just seems to say it the perfect way. Now, I have an opinion about this. I want to get yours first. Are the Yankees too generous in retiring numbers? Because I think they have 22 out of the 100 are retired. Yeah. Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, and it, when you bring that up, I think back to my first spring training and I'm walking into that clubhouse saying, what number are they going to give me, 89? Because you know of all these numbers that have been retired, and they were nice enough to give me number 17. But then I think about what these Yankees have done, you know, the, this crew that's coming through. And they deserve to have their numbers retired, you know, what they, all the championships and all the great moments that they've given the fans. So, yes, maybe they're a little too generous, but... I think they're rewarding guys who went through a pretty special time there in the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, the dynasty. Yeah, it's incredible. Now, will there ever be a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer? No, and there Not should be. Not even Derek Jeter. No, there should be. Derek Jeter, Mariana Rivera. Um, yeah. And I, I say that because not that they don't deserve it, but there are going to be some old writers out there who are going to have to say, I'm not ever voting for somebody, you know, and that's just the way it is, and it's sad because um, I talked about the, you know, playing against guys. Jeter is a first ballot, unanimous guy. Yeah. Mariano, the same thing, and it probably won't happen. I wish it would. I wish it would. That's a shame. Yeah. Writers, baseball writers of America. Although the, the writers are getting younger now, so we're starting to that. see a little, a little difference, so maybe it will change. Maybe, yeah. So now the 2017 Yankees, as an analyst here, what are you going to be most looking forward to this spring with the young guys coming up? Yeah. Who maybe in particular? 
Well, obviously it's all about the young guys now. I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, Judge in right field to see if he's going to get a little bit better. Uh, he's such a hard worker and a great kid. I find myself pulling for him. Greg Bird, what's he going to look like after missing a whole year? Uh, he could be special, and, and he also could be a guy that's going to take some time to get his feet underneath him again. And then I think for myself, Gary Sanchez is the one I'm going to be paying most attention to in spring training. Um, not for what he did last year, but for how he's handled himself this offseason. Uh, we know that he's been all over the place signing autographs. He's getting all this attention, and rightfully so. As a young player, that's a lot to handle. So. I want to see if he's in shape. I want to see if he's working when I get down to Tampa. I'll be down there March 1st. Um, because I think it's very easy for him to take a step backwards, and I hope that doesn't happen. Now, Coon Frazier, speaking of working out, he's been working out. Yeah. The guy looks like a beast. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about Coon Frazier? <laughs> Especially well, well, the hair, even. Yeah, the hair. The, you know, the, the thing, it's such a different generation. Um, I'm going to say your generation, right? The, the social media and, and being able to get your opinion out there. And Clint has been very vocal and very out, out in front. My personality was always, let's lay back a little bit and let my play dictate what everybody thinks of me. Um, Clint's got to go to AAA and dominate. And Clint, if he gets his opportunity, should let his play be what everybody thinks about, not his social media presence. Um, that's my first impression. I've never met the man. I'm looking forward to seeing him in spring training. I hear he's incredibly talented. But as, a, as you put my analyst hat on, but I'm also going to go as a veteran player now. Veteran players don't like young guys who are out in your face. Listen, pay attention, and speak when you're spoken to and go out there and play hard. So I think he maybe needs a little old school lesson. Yeah, a little toned down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, now you're very proud of your Irish heritage. Yep. Inducted to the inaugural, what is it called, the, the starting nine. Starting nine. Of the Irish, Irish American Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes. Now, big names in that class, including yours. Yep. What was that like? Well, it was an incredible honor. You know, I, I have always been incredibly proud of my last name. Um, where my grandparents came from, County Kerry in Ireland. Um, I had learned from a young age never to disappoint the name on the back of your jersey, the Flaherty name, and I, I, I paid attention to that. I still pay attention to it today. So when the Irish Baseball Hall of Fame puts you in their starting nine, uh, I was incredibly humbled you know, and, and proud of it. And you know, when that plaque, I saw that plaque and you see the name Flaherty, that, that kind of got me. That was pretty cool. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm McCartan. So. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> now, um, just real quickly, the evolution of baseball. You started in 92. We're in 2017 now. Do you think the game has evolved, and if so, for the better or for the worse? Meaning maybe replays, instant replays are now introduced, things like that. Oh, I think the game is in a better place now than it was. And, and I think that the players today are so much better than we were back when I came up in 92. Uh, nutrition, physical fitness, you know, the guys take care of themselves so much better than we did when I first came in. Um, you know, the, the game itself, I think, is evolving and trying to get the younger generation to, to still pay attention. Um, it's, there's a lot of downtime. You know, it's one of those games that you, you have to love and think along with. And I think uh, some of the young generation is missing out on that. But our com commissioner, Rob Manford, is doing a great job because he's so open-minded to changing and, and evolving. Um, and the core of the game is always going to be the same. But I think it's in a much better place now than when I first came in. Now, um, your coolest memory from the Yes booth, besides, you already mentioned Derek Jr.'s 3,000, besides that. Coolest memory. Um, 
Probably my first day on the job. My boss, John Filippelli, I had no TV experience, uh, threw a microphone in my hand and said, go get them. Go, go interview Jeter, Posada, Johnny Damon was on that team. And I, I vividly remember I had to interview Derek Jeter after a game-winning hit on opening day in 2006. Live TV, had never done live TV before. I have a producer talking in my ear. I'm talking to Derek, and, and Derek and I are friends. And, you know, Derek's giving me a hard time, and I'm trying to stay focused <laughs> and get it back up to the booth and completely butchered it. Um, but I'll never forget that day, and I'll never forget my first game in the booth with Jim Cott. And I had a big binder. I was, you know, an ex-catcher. I was prepared. I was ready. And he looked at my binder and said, get rid of that. He said, you and I, fittingly enough, we're in a bar here, but he's like, you and I are watching a game in a bar, having a beer, and we're going to talk baseball. And he said, all that research that you did, if it's important enough, you'll remember it. Yeah. And whenever I do a game now, I do my homework, I do my research, and I show up, and I have nothing in front of me except my scorebook because of Jim Cotton. I say, you know what, just watch the game and talk to my partner like you're having a beer in a bar and breaking down a baseball game. Pretty advice. simple, yeah, it was great advice. All right, so finally, if we can do a quick lightning round. Yeah. Not too long here, but all right, here we go. If so these are quick one. Quick, first thing that comes to mind. Oh boy. If you hadn't played baseball, what would you be doing? I'd be a police officer. Police officer, okay. Yep. Not your uh, political science degree, nothing with that? No, my, I'm, I'm a, I was a major in speech communications oh, really? and a minor in psychology. Okay. Yeah, and the only reason I was a speech comm major, I was incredibly shy and petrified of speaking in front of people. <laughs> and I said, if I can go to school and get over that fear, then that'll be a major accomplishment. It's turned into a broadcasting yeah, career, so it worked out. Okay, next thing, favorite TV show? Can't miss. Cosby. Who would be on your MLB Mount Rushmore? Four guys. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you can do a quick one with that. Okay. Four guys. Uh, Posada would be on that list. Okay. Um, Tanyan Sturtz would be on that list. Paul Quantrell would be on that list. And a guy by the name of Mike Borzello, who is a bullpen catcher for the Yankees that nobody would know about. So that's my Mount Rushmore because those are the guys that I was close with. Um, had a lot of great times, a lot of great memories with, and, and still keep in touch with today. Are you a football guy? Yeah, I, was, I was a Jet season ticket holder, and I smartened up a few years ago and I'm got rid of those. Too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> All right, so forget that one. Now, if you can catch any, catch any person, any pitcher, alive or in history, who would it be? Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox. Good answer. Okay, favorite song? Oh, boy. Um... Streets Have No Names by U2. Okay, and uh, final question, real quickly. Falcons or Patriots in the Super Bowl? Oh, Falcons, without a doubt. You mean you think they're going to win or you want them? No, I want them to win. I can't root for the Patriots. So I get, uh, they, you're a Boston guy. No, I, I oh, well, played in Boston, Boston, but I don't have, I'm a Jet guy, too. Yeah. I've seen enough of the Patriots, so it's time for the Falcons to win this thing. <laughs> All right, and then I have one final fan question from Ryan Griffith on Twitter. Who was the hardest pitcher you ever had to catch and why? Wow. Um, well, there are two of them. Matt Young, who I caught my first game ever in the big leagues through a no-hitter and loss, believe it or not. Had an incredible arm, had no idea where the ball was going, so he was tough to catch. And then Mike Mussina, who was easy to catch, but was really tough to get inside of his head. You know, he would... Uh, he would be on a different level with a game plan, and as a catcher, it got a little frustrating. Um, but once you got to that level with him, it was it was incredibly easy. Cool. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here yeah. from the Brew House in Pearl River. I'm Daniel McCarty. That's John Flaherty. Thanks. John Flaherty.
completely insightful in, in every sense of the word. I mean, tells it like it is. And that's what I appreciate about that interview. So uh, although it was long, it was a, a great conversation. I am, you know, I, I, I like I like talking with John Flaherty. He's got a great perspective on things and he's very helpful, you know, behind the scenes. And he gave me some advice and uh, I definitely, definitely look to keep in contact with him. And you heard it. He promised me two tickets or no, he promised me tickets to uh, that Derek Jeter game. It's May 14th. My birthday's May 17th. So, uh, John Flaherty, I'll be calling you. <laughs> all right, so let's wrap it up today. <clears throat> we talked about, uh, well, first of all, my guests today were uh, New York Rangers goalkeeper Henrik Lundqvist. I'm wearing his T-shirt right now. And former New York Yankee catcher, current Yes Network analyst John Flaherty. If you want to catch those interviews, uh, the video, uh, you can go on my uh, YouTube page. Just go to YouTube.com and type it in the search bar. Type Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. It'll come up in there. And uh, also, if, you, if that's too difficult to do, what you could do is just go to Facebook.com slash Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And you could just type it in there and just scroll through. The Lunkus one I put up late last night, and the Flaherty is a little further down. Um, you can find them there and, and watch them. I know it's kind of hard to listen. You'd rather watch. Me too. I'd rather watch too. So if you want to, it's there. Uh, and let's just uh, review some topics. We talked about Darrell Rivas being arrested. Um, he'll be appearing uh, before the, you know, in court before the judge on Thursday. Dylan Batances in the New York Yankees. A salary arbitration has been reached. Uh, my what the f story. Cleveland Cavaliers. Kyrie Irving is insisting on more than one occasion that the Earth is in fact flat. That was what my what the f story of the day. Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, are they set to square off? Uh, my interview with Ray Boom Boom Mancini, commentary from him on that. Also, uh, Yankees relief pitcher Dylan Batances, I had a, my commentary of my interview with him. Adrian Peterson, will he be ditching uh, the Vikings purple for the Giants blue? We don't know. Then we had my Henrik Lundqvist interview, 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. And then we just heard from John Flaherty. So uh, you guys can check out my work. Oh, and, and by the way, I, you know, how I post this online after the fact, we got 96 plays on last week's show, which is almost 100. So keep that coming. Maybe click it, you know, four times on there, and then you can watch this week's because I'm going to put this up as soon as I can, as possibly as soon as I possibly can. Quick shout-out. Everything we got, www.prosportsrundown.com. I'm almost done with a post about uh, Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Uh, and what he thinks about McGregor and Mayweather. So check check out for that maybe later tonight or tomorrow, definitely. Twitter, at Coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, st- streaming uh, through Twitter right now on Periscope. Uh, same thing, at Coach McCartan. YouTube.com slash Coach. Now, YouTube.com, search Coach Space McCartan. SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. And on demand, iTunes podcast, Coach Space McCartan. Tune in radio. It's under the show's name, 60-Minute Overtime, and play.google.com, and you're going to search Coach McCartan with no spaces. And I want to thank everybody hanging out on Periscope. I'm uh, getting a lot of hearts right now. <laughs> why? Because I'm oh, why? Because I'm done? Because it's over? I'm just kidding. So right now on Periscope, at Coach McCartan, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. been streaming, streaming that. Uh, and thanks to all my, my visitors. Oh, someone said they're watching from Las Vegas. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, and and that and that's that. So I'll see you guys next Sunday, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. And that's that. So let's hit him with the end credits. And uh, thanks for hanging with me, guys. 
Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.